The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. Good evening, as Mr. Sande, are you online? Good evening. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, we have online our guest, Ms. Kwanele Asante, who is a lawyer, bioethicist, and patient activist. She is the former chairperson of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Cancer Prevention and Control in South Africa. Kwanele has received several awards for her African cancer equity activism, including the Harvard Global Health Catalyst 2016 African Ambassador Award. She serves in an advisory role for several national African and global health entities. Kwanele uh, is a BA in liberal arts from the Wesleyan University, Connecticut, US, and also has two VETS degrees, the LLB and MSc Medicine in Bioethics and Health Law. Welcome. How are you doing this evening? Um, very well, Doctor. Thank you. And how are you? No, we, we're quite fine. We're pleased to have you join us. In the interest of time, I'll just jump straight into the topic and uh, ask you to just kick off by telling us why you believe human rights matter in healthcare and why should ordinary health users care about a human rights-based approach uh, to healthcare? Thank you. Thank you for the question, Dr. Bengu. Several, or the majority of lay people like myself, lay people being people who haven't studied, studied medicine or law, do not understand why human rights are important at all, let alone why they're important within a healthcare system. So I thought I should highlight that all Nzansi people should be interested in a human rights-based approach to healthcare because human rights confer uh, rights that other instruments in law do not. For instance, Human rights are enjoyed by all of us. They are the basic rights and freedoms which all of us are entitled to. Human rights impose duties on states to ensure their protection. Human rights are also very important in protecting the fundamental rights that we have, like the right to life, the right to equality, the right to dignity, human dignity. And human rights, most importantly, are not just available to us in terms of South African law. They're also available and are guaranteed to us in terms of international standards. They are legally protected, so no state country, no state or country can opt out of a human rights-based approach. So we should all be fighting for a human rights-based approach because it ensures that this dignity of the person, uh, of the human being, that is all of us, and they protect individuals and groups. Human rights oblige state actors to make sure that they are protected, promoted, and fulfilled. And most important for our conversation tonight, they are interrelated and interdependent. That's why we talk about health and human rights. There's no talk about health without offering all these protections that I have mentioned in terms of human rights. In the same vein, there's no talk about human rights without advancing uh, the rights of healthcare. 
Thank you. Thank you very much for your comprehensive response. Uh, what I'll just like listeners to remember is that please do call through. The line is 011-714-2006 or send us a WhatsApp voice note 0614-104-107 and please keep voice notes less than one minute. Uh, Ms. Asante, uh, just to, 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 to take it further and, and apply a, a bit more practical examples here. Why should South Africans be concerned about the, the topical issue about COVID-19 vaccine nationalism that's all over? Thank Why you, Mr. Bing. You, you know, uh, South Africans have impressed me greatly. Before, I used to complain that South Africans are not interested in health debates, health, national health discourses. But with COVID, I've seen an appetite that never existed before. People want to know what vaccines are available and how are they going to be available. But of course, we have this complication in terms of international uh, realities where 80% of the vaccines that are available out there, you know, the Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca vaccines, 80% of the production that has been manufactured uh, have been administered in only 10 countries around the world. So now we have developing countries like South Africa and India leading the charge to say, this is wrong. We cannot have such a small component of the world population uh, dominating us and taking 80% of the production when all of us are threatened by the COVID uh, vaccine, uh, sorry, uh, by COVID itself. So uh, I want South African uh, fellow citizens to have the moral outrage uh, against things like the three main vaccine manufacturers are asking countries to buy one by one, developing countries, you know, to enter into a single one-by-one one, um, contract. And they also are imposing things that say to them, you are not allowed to say uh, how much you paid for your vaccine. And as a result, you have poorer countries, like relatively poorer, like South Africa, even Uganda, paying higher prices for vaccines as compared to Abu Canada and things like that. So that is very wrong. And we should, as South Africans, interest ourselves because we want our populations to also have access to vaccines, not in the next five to 10 years, but we also want to see our people enjoying vaccine equity, that people like myself who live with comorbidities, which is other diseases other than COVID, are also given an opportunity to access the vaccine to potentially save their lives. Indeed, and uh, your point makes me want to link your response to uh, what Mike from Newland said earlier, and this is exactly the point, that if our approach to healthcare is not one of solid, social solidarity, sorry, of solidarity, 
then we we will end up in trouble. And and COVID has highlighted this because uh, certainly in our generation, the past hundred years, we have not seen anything uh, else that shows that even if you're wealthy, you're not protected if the poor person you're in contact with does not have access to healthcare. That I hope will answer that question that Mike posted, but also brings us to highlight the issue that you are making, that uh, it doesn't help if only a few countries have got access to vaccine, but but many don't. I'm seeing but, but more and more... Before we, continue, before we continue, Dr. Bengu, I, I, I beg to differ gently. Uh, yes, we have please. seen the scenario of the unequal balance of power in terms of access to a potentially life-threatening uh, disease. We had the instance of HIV-AIDS when the communities in the global south, sorry, the global north, Europe and America, were enjoying yeah. access, relative access or even blatant access to essential medicines. And those medicines were... Uh, about 20, 30 times more expensive in our country. And South Africans showed that appetite of taking on global pharmaceutical manufacturers to say this is amoral, you know, and potentially life-threatening, sorry, life-saving treatment must not only be available based on the size of your wallet. So we've had this conversation, and that's why I want to agitate and make my fellow South Africans make sure that we get into the movement for vaccine equity in the context of COVID. My only question, sorry to interject here, Dr. Bengu and Ms. Asante, especially in the context of your last point, even now it is happening with the procurement and the rollout of these vaccines. We have seen the rich nations especially wanting to intervene in the COVAX facility, wanting to essentially buy up all the stock so that it can go into the secondary market, if you like, and those countries who are poor, who have participated in the COVAX market, don't have access through the COVAX facility and then go, if you like, on the secondary market at a higher price from those rich nations. So whilst we are all together in this mess of COVID-19, even the rich are still getting the superior benefit out of it, say, versus the poorer. Your response, both of you. But that, that's exactly the point, Mr. Bethany, where, where, you know, you, when I have read countries like Canada have 10 times the vaccines they need for their population. So why hard? Uh, are you then going to sell it back to developing nations at a premium? Or are you going to be the savior of the developing world and start telling us about vaccine charity instead of making sure that there's equity from you know the get-go? And this is what some of my learned colleagues are saying, that you know at the get-go, what people need to understand is that vaccines are developed on the public purse. So taxes go into vaccine manufacturing. And at the get-go, we should have been saying, if countries, even if your home country, like, say, the United States, gives you the capital to develop your molecule into a vaccine, you should make an undertaking that 
whatever is developed is going to go into a pool that's available for the public interest globally, as opposed to you can now enjoy this monopoly of a patent for 20 years. We need to stop such things. So for me, yes, you're underscoring the point that it is not fair that there's hoarding and there is going to be people potentially reselling the thing, the vaccines at a prime. No, thank you indeed. Thanks. Uh, what, what we'll do, obviously, in the last minutes, we'll, we'll want to focus more on, on, on what it is that we need to do. Uh, we do have a voice note for someone who wants to talk about the need for proper governance. Good evening. I'd just like to comment on Dr. Bengu's response to Mike. I think his response is very poor in the fact that it is not a law enforcement issue. The people responsible, the people that caused it, the people that in actual fact should be held up for murder are then transferred to other departments and given new positions. Does the ANC not take responsibility and be accountable for the actions of their members and their appointees. It looks like the people can do as they please. And secondly, there's no reason why a person who is prudent with their money has to support a person who just indiscriminately goes along and has six kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yes. Uh, well, uh, look on the SD many issue. I mean, that's exactly the, the, the point. It's a governance issue. It's no different from law enforcement in the sense that there are no consequences that we see. Uh, look, it's a very unfortunate and uninformed response on, on, on the second part about solidarity. But what I will do, I would like to, to pose one more uh, question for now to Ms. Asante, uh, really about the international organizations, including the WHO, who are working to mainstream health users as co-creators of health policies and, and research agenda. How can human rights law help to advance meaningful engagement of people affected by uh, and living with medical conditions? Thank you for the question, Dr. Bengi. It's very important. You know, I look at the COVID situation at the moment. We have the COVID MAC and the vaccine MAX and all these scientists who are robustly talking about the science behind COVID. But I always, always reminded my students when I taught uh, health law that as much as we can talk about the science or the laws behind uh, health phenomena, we should always remember that diseases happen within a social context and that people experience these diseases. Therefore, it is important that we bring in the health user, in not only in terms of giving them scientifically reliable education on health that is culturally appropriate, but we should also be looking to teach them about science. A lot of people then say, oh my goodness, are you wanting people to become Dr. Google? We're not saying that. 
we are saying that people who are informed and educated on their health rights and their health in terms of the disease pattern, the treatment options, then become better partners. And so what I'm proposing that South Africa should do a better job in giving out public education on health, timelessly, culturally appropriate, uh, and empowering. The Article 4 of the Declaration of Alma-Ata of 2018 on Primary Health states that people have the right and the duty to participate individually and collectively in the planning and implementation of their health care. Therefore, when you come, for instance, I'm a woman who has had breast cancer. When we started saying as patients that I have chemo brain fog or my brain doesn't work as well after chemotherapy, doctors were saying to them, ah, to us, ah, that's anecdotal uh, uh, evidence. You know, it's not proven by, by science. Whereas after time, doctors started to listen and a study was conducted and indeed, Patients were right to say that chemo does interfere with your ability to think. So think about our context. How many health issues affect uh, relatively poor communities? But you don't have patients from that communities coming in and informing our policy and research agendas on what is important to them from where they sit, how we can better meet their health needs. So that, that is why it is important that we use a human rights-based approach because it, in a summary, goes to the notion of nothing about us without us. We have the right to participate as enshrined in the Declaration of Alma-Ata. Well, well articulated. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, Dr. Ntutugo Pengu uh, talking to Ms. Guanele Asante, and our topic tonight is about human rights in healthcare. And while Songhezo is in the kitchen making tea for Lisekho and Kanya, please remember that our lines are open 011714-2006 and send your short voice note to 0614-104-107. We have Colin in Cape Town. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Hello. Good evening. Good evening, uh, Colin. Good evening, Please go ahead. Good evening, Colin. I, I normally say good evening to Gezo, but he's making coffee. <laughs> 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 and good evening to your guest. Do you know, I was wondering yes. about um, the, these countries that are uh, of, um, overstocked with the, with the, um, the vaccines. Uh, do they know or aren't they sure? Maybe... They need a double vaccine. That is why they're stocking up. So in others like Canada and New Zealand, they've got 5 million people. They order 10, 15 million. Now, uh, the expiry date, I don't know. Um, between the first uh, uh, vaccination and the second one, I don't know how long the period is. Now, aren't those countries trying to to safeguard their citizens in case they need um, a second round of vaccination. I don't believe they're stocking up to make money and sell it to 
Africa or poorer countries. You see, the problem is this. South Africa has got a lot of money. We've got a lot of money. But when the COVID came in, we were running around making loans, looking for money, and this and that for COVID. When we squandered... Yes. When we squandered yes, our Colin, money... I'm so, I'm so, yes, well, I'm sorry I have yes. to rush you. I, I, I got your point, but I think the, the point about countries uh, hogging vaccines... The calculation has been made that even providing for two-dose regimens, it's still over and above what they need. Uh, we'll move on quickly. We have one more voice note. Uh, great show. Um, very informative. I could listen to it the whole night. Uh, please keep it, keep it up uh, and keep it going. Thank you. Thank you very Thank you. much. Uh, the, they did not say who they are, but the, the message is well received. Uh, Ms. Uh, Asante, do you want to, to to sort of quickly rush us through what you have covered, really, what we should be doing, but is there anything else that you'd like to, to refer to that uh, anyone who's listening must say, this is what I'm starting to do tomorrow? One minute, please. No more. <laughs> oh, uh, what should you do tomorrow? Make sure that you are going to join us in agitating for vaccine equity. Make sure that you're going to help support the South African government and Indian governments who are asking for vaccine waivers to make sure that our citizens in the developing countries enjoy access to COVID vaccine where, uh, within a reasonable time. Make sure that you remain uh, vigilant to hold our country responsible for making sure as well, as much as we talk about the unfairness of other countries, let us also hold our, company, uh, our country uh, accountable for ensuring that there is no difference between people in the private Excellent. and public sectors. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for the wonderful, insightful uh, sort of talk today. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Song Bengu. Thank you, Dr. Bengu, indeed, my appreciation is extended to you and, of course, to your guest. Thank you so much for, I think, the voice note that was the last one played captures essentially what I wanted to say. So I will only say again, thank you very much for obliging as you have. Certainly, citizen empowerment is great. Bridge the information asymmetry, particularly in relation to healthcare, and as Mr. Sande has said, the agitation and advocacy around healthcare has got to be in concert with each other for the purposes of addressing the question of healthcare outcomes. So we certainly will call on your counsel from time to time, but for now it has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Bengu, then, our guest of honor this evening on hashtag Tuesday Takeover. Let's go to news. It's 21 hours.